Let us pray. Dear Lord, you have brought us here on this special morning for a, for a reason, Lord. We are all who gathered here today here because you wanted us here. And those who are not here, they're here because you called them not to be here, Lord. Everything is in your hands. And we pray that you would be with our hearts and our minds today, Lord, as we uh, learn about fasting. I pray that you would help us to have a fresh outlook uh, on this topic as we move forward with our lives and our walk with Christ. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So you know that feeling you get when you finally get to experience something that you had heard about for a long time but had never had a chance to do? For me, one of those experiences was was visiting Rome during my spring break my junior year in college. Seeing all the artwork at the Vatican and seeing the Colosseum opened my eyes and I got to see them all in a new light. And this morning, we're going to learn about fasting, which some of you have heard about but have never tried. For me, fasting for the first time was an eye-opening experience, and I will never go back. Today, I hope to convince all of you to join me in this discipline. And this brings me to our first point today, which is we as followers of Christ are called to conform our lives to Christ and the Bible, not the other way around. Therefore, we must learn to fast. Therefore, we must learn to fast. Please look with me at our scripture reading for today, or not, not our scripture reading, our sermon text for today, Luke five thirty three through 35. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. We see in the preceding passage that Terry preached from last week, the Pharisees are asking Jesus questions. And when I first read this passage, I thought that these two were connected and that we were still at Levi's house. However, after some study, it became clear that this is not the same situation, and the Pharisees are not questioning Jesus. Instead, it's a crowd of people asking Jesus this question. This can be seen because of the phrase, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. If it were the Pharisees questioning Jesus, it would have read, and so do our disciples. So there's a gap in time here between the two passages, even though they are connected. Now let's lay the groundwork for what fasting is so we can all get on the same page. So I saw a definition that said, fasting is a refraining from a specific thing for a specific time and a specific reason. Again, fasting is refraining from a specific thing for a specific time for a specific reason. So what is the specific thing that we are referring to here? When I was growing up in the Lutheran church and the season of Lent came around, it was customary to give up something for Lent. And I was taught that you would think about something that you didn't want to give up, and that would be the thing that you had to give up, which was a good practice. So I was in the boat that fasting could be refraining from anything. It could be chocolate, sugar, TV, Facebook, video games, chewing your nails. The list can go on and on. Well, the study of the Bible has shown me that there are two categories, fasting and denying yourself. And all of the previous examples fall in the category of denying yourself. 
Jesus said in Luke 9.23, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. It is good and necessary for us to deny ourselves things that we want in order to remind ourselves what is truly important in this life. However, this is not what the passage of Luke is saying. The passage is using fasting. So the Bible explicitly says that the specific thing that we're refraining from is food. Why food? Well, food is something you need, while TV is something that you want. Your body doesn't let you know that it is time to watch TV. Your body will let you know when it's time to eat, since you will die if you go too long without food. You won't die if you go too long without chocolate, no matter what you may think. Tim Tim Challies explained that fasting from food is in a very helpful way. He said, fasting is withholding from yourself something you need, which is food, in order to pursue something that you need even more, which is communion with God. So again, fasting is withholding from yourself something you need, which is food, in order to pursue something that you need even more, which is communion with God. If we don't have communion with God, we are lost. Think about it. How often do we need food? We need it daily. All the time? No, only about three times a day, plus snacks, and that kind of goes beyond need. But how often do we need communion with God? Just as often as food, three times a daily, plus snacks? No, we need communion with God continually. If we are in Christ, His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is in us. He never leaves. We may not notice Him, but He is there. Fasting is one way to become closer to Christ as we have a longing for him as our strength. So now we know that fasting is refraining from a specific thing, which is food. The second part of our definition is refraining for a specific time. The Bible talks about three different periods of time for a fast. One is fasting for a single day until evening as seen in Judges 20.26. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. There are other examples like this, but you can see that their focus here is on the Lord. They sat before the Lord all day. Now, we may not be able to sit before the Lord all day when we fast, but our hunger will bring our mind back to the Lord all day. So, a one-day fast. The second amount of time seen in the Bible is a three-day fast, seen in Esther 4, 16 through 17. And Esther is speaking to Mordecai. She says, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king. Though it is against the law, and if I perish... I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Three days is an extreme fast. This is only done for extreme situations. Here, Queen Esther is going to stand before the king in his court, which is punishable by death, an extreme situation. It should also be noted here that when you fast, you should drink water. You should only fast from food and other beverages not water. It does say refrain from drink here, referring to water, 
which is the only time in the Bible where I have encountered this. There may be other fasts that I, uh, there may be more, but other fasts that I've seen only involve food in the Bible. It is unwise to fast from water. So a third time period seen in the Bible is a week-long fast where food is only forbidden during the daylight hours. And this can be seen in 2 Samuel 3.35. David's son Abner had just been killed, and so David is in mourning. And it says, Then all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was yet day. But David swore, saying, God do so to me and more also, if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. And all the people took notice of it. And it pleased them, as everything that the King David did pleased all the people. David did this for a week. You, of course, could set your own timetable, as our days here in Minnesota during the summer are quite long. This would be much easier for us to do during winter. So as you can see, unlike the specific thing being food, the specific time is more flexible. You can set a time period for your fast. The important point is that you stick with it. You are making a vow to the Lord that you will fast for a certain amount of time, and we must never break a vow to the Lord. It is best to start with a single-day fast instead of biting off more than you can chew. Which, of course, we wouldn't be chewing anything. So we are almost done laying the groundwork for what the Bible means when it talks about fasting. We know that fasting is refraining from a specific thing, food. For a specific time, this can be set by you. And now for a specific reason. And reasons vary widely in Scripture. I'll just read off a list of situations from Scripture that are tied to fasting. Here are some. Fasting because you need to confess sin. Fasting because you need to help turn from a sin. Fasting in hope of God's delivery from a situation. Fasting in order to turn aside calamity. Fasting because of mourning, feeling sorrow. Fasting to confirm a vow or calling. Fasting to spend focused time with God. Fasting to strengthen prayer. Fasting to seek God's guidance. Fasting to humble yourself before God. Fasting to overcome temptation. And lastly, fasting to express love and worship to God. This is not an exhaustive list. And you can see that you can fast during any period of life. When things are going well, fast to express love and worship to God. When things are really hard, fast for deliverance. If you know someone who is in need of fervent prayer, fast and add power to your prayers. So what is biblical fasting? Fasting is refraining from a specific thing, food, for a specific time and for a specific reason. And now that we have the groundwork, let's get back to the text. Look at me with the statement that Jesus says in verse 33, or spoken to Jesus in verse 33. Remember, this is a crowd that's talking to Jesus. They say the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Even though this isn't a question, it's a statement that was looking for a response. We may see fasting as a minor issue today, but fasting was foundational to those following the teachings of the Old Testament. Up to this point, they are seeing Jesus as a wonderful teacher and healer, but he is doing things and acting in ways that go against how the law of Moses had traditionally been interpreted. They did not have full understanding of Scripture, and for some of this, 
oh, and for some, this was a continue to follow Jesus moment or don't continue to follow Jesus moment. Is he on our side or not? Is he a false teacher or not? This is what repercussions there were for these people. So what is it for us? It says Jesus' disciples don't fast. Aren't we Jesus' disciples? Does that mean that we're not supposed to fast? Well, let's look at Jesus' response in verses 34 and 35. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Jesus is saying a lot in these two sentences, and it's easy to miss if we don't have an understanding of the Old Testament like the devout Jews did. Jesus' question, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them, is a rhetorical question. Of course, the answer is no. Just this last weekend, my sister-in-law got married. It was a beautiful wedding. And after they got married, what do you think we did? We ate. We celebrated. It was a joyous occasion. Can you imagine being invited to a wedding and not having any sort of food or snack? It may happen nowadays, but it would never have happened in Jesus' day. Just look at the wedding in Cana, where Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. They had a master of the feast. They don't just have a person in charge of food. They have a master of the feast. What a title. This is not a family member. This would be a hired person. We know that because later it says, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. The master of the feast is no rookie. He knows how wedding feasts are done, and this wasn't it. So wedding celebrations with bridegrooms were feasts. No way would they fast. And then Jesus cranks it up a notch with his next sentence, or seven notches. With his next statement, he says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Now, when Jesus said that, people's minds may have exploded. And here's why. Jesus is saying that he is the bridegroom. And what does that mean? Well, Isaiah 54, 5 and 6 says, For your maker, capital M, your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, capital R, your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. Jesus in this statement is claiming to be God. The maker, the redeemer, the God of the whole earth. God in bodily form, the Messiah. Do you see why their minds may have exploded? Just to hammer home the bridegroom wording, Isaiah 62, 5b says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God, your God, rejoice over you. Bridegroom goes with God, and bride goes with us. It is very clear. So let's go back to the question that I posed earlier. We are Jesus' disciples. 
And does that mean that we are not supposed to fast? Jesus has just established himself as the bridegroom when he said the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. So what are those days? There are two ways to think about this. One is, is to think that this is referring to the three days when Jesus was dead in the tomb. The time of fasting ended when Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And the other way to think about those days is when Jesus was taken from the earth at the ascension. This is the most prevalent view, and I definitely take this one. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit, but creation is not restored yet. We long for Jesus' second coming. So Jesus' disciples, are we supposed to fast in these days? Yes. Absolutely yes. Now that we know that we should fast, and we know what fasting is, let's get real. Application time. We must learn to fast, so how do we do it? Matthew six sixteen through 18 tells us, and this is Jesus speaking, says, and when you fast, note, when you fast, this is in agreement with what we just said about fasting, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. A few good takeaways here. Don't show others that you are fasting. Do so in secret. Take a shower. Do what you would normally do to present yourself to the day. The Father who sees in secret will reward you. That, what form does this take? Could be anything an answer to prayer, a revelation to your purpose behind fasting, growth in him to become more like Christ, growing in your faith, an answer to what we should do, a blessing for a commission to serve the Lord's church. Typically, the reward reveals itself with purpose of fasting, which is what we learned about earlier. We must be weary of ourselves, though, when we fast. Luke 18, 9 through 14 says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. We must be careful when we fast because it can make us proud instead of humble, just like the Pharisee. That is why Jesus tells us to keep it to ourselves. Don't let others know because our heart is easily twisted. It is the heart behind the action that is the most important. Now, just because we could become proud in giving, does that stop us from giving money to the church? No. Just because we can become proud by fasting, does that stop us from fasting? No. If that is the case, we must seek a heart change. There is nothing wrong with giving or fasting, but like with all things, we can twist them and end up with a proud heart. 
And if we need a reminder on pride, then go to our website and listen to Dave's sermon on prayer. Or on pride. Whew. The chief deadly sin in which the soil in which the other six grow. Now let me share with you how to fast. One way that the elders of our church has found to have a successful one-day fast is to start after supper on a certain day and not eat until supper the following day. Have an early supper. When you're done eating, start the clock. Go for 24 hours and then eat a late supper the next day. Make sure you drink water whenever you like. Let me give you a quick rundown of my experience with fasting. When I get done eating supper, I know that I'm fasting, and I already am going to the Lord in prayer. I usually have a snack at night before I go to bed, but I can't, so I'm praying again. I'm not hungry when I go to bed, but I know morning is coming. When I wake up, the first thought that I have is that I'm fasting, and I'm going to need to rely on the Lord's strength for the day. I can't rely on myself. I need to rely on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, so I go pray. By the way, fasting and prayer, they go hand in hand. All over the Bible, if people are fasting, people are praying. If you want power in prayer, then you need to fast. And it's incredible. If you don't know what you are missing, or you don't know what you're missing until you actually fast with purpose. So now I skip breakfast, head off to work. My energy level's just fine. When I get to about lunchtime, I'm feeling hunger pains a little bit, but it isn't too bad. It is what I expected, but I'm praying with purpose. The afternoon hours come along, and I'm starting to feel hungry. However, three hours until I get to eat doesn't seem too far away. For some reason, this is the point that I forget every time. The last two hours for me is very hard. My energy goes away. My mind is overrun with hunger. During this time, I'm in constant prayer. During this time, I know that my prayers are the most powerful. When I am weak, he is strong. You need to fast to experience this. When food comes, you know it is a blessing from God and you are giving real thanks. Be the one to pray for your meal before you eat when you are breaking a fast. There is power in prayer. I've also learned that fasting is about trusting in the Lord to sustain you. I know this is obvious, but I have noticed that I am tempted not to trust the Lord when I am starting or ending a fast. Make sure that when you start, don't have a larger meal than normal. That is not trusting the Lord. Do everything normally. Have a normal portion. You're going to want to eat more because you think somehow that is going to sustain you throughout the day. No. That is dismiss that is putting your trust in that extra little bit of calories and not in the Lord. Again, a normal portion when you get done fasting is all you need. You do not need to stuff yourself to feel satisfied. The Lord will satisfy you. And one more thing. If you are finding that you are going to something else besides God in prayer, when you're feeling hungry, if you're going to Facebook, TV, the internet, a good book to get your mind off of your hunger, you know that you have an idol that you need to work on. The first couple times I fasted, I was going to video games to get my mind off of that hunger, and boy, is that convicting. We may have been blinded to these things before, but when you fast, 
it's just laid open for you. There's so many reasons to fast. I can't say that enough. So we as followers of Christ are called to conform our lives to Christ in the Bible, not the other way around. Therefore, we must learn to fast. On to the second point. The first one was the big one. The second point. We as followers of Christ are called to conform our lives to Christ in the Bible, not the other way around. Therefore, we must leave our old lives behind and move forward in Christ. Therefore, we must leave our old lives behind and move forward in Christ. Look with me at verses 36 through 38. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine in the old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Now, this passage perplexed me for a long time until a commentary helped open my eyes. Jesus is comparing old with new here and showing that they don't mix well. In both examples, the old and the new are destroyed. So let's look at the garment. The old garment is the old traditional Jewish teaching, and the new garment is the teaching of Jesus Christ. The old garment is a gospel of obedience to the law, and the new garment is the gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ as the only way to be saved. Jesus is telling us that we can't keep pieces of the old teaching while graphing in pieces of the new teaching. If you do, then both crumble and are destroyed. The same analogy can be seen with the new wine and the old wineskins. If you try to blend the two, then both are wasted and destroyed. This is what the apostles are learning and dealing with in the book of Acts. They have grown up following the law, understanding what it means to be clean and unclean. And now, they've just heard three years of Jesus' teaching, and they had to reconcile all of these pieces with the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 11. So if you'd like to turn there and follow along, it may help. Acts chapter 11 is an excellent place to see how the apostles' new teaching Um, or how the apostles reconcile the old teaching and the new teaching together. This passage has to do with clean and unclean food as well as what to do about the Gentiles. So I'm going to read Acts 11, 1 through 18. It said, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answers a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up into heaven again. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we, were, uh, which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered in uh, the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house, 
and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will deliver you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as it had on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in the way of God? And when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. In the Old Testament, God was the God of Israel. He had selected them in all the earth to be his people. And the New Testament, Jesus had gone and taught and healed the Gentiles. It was a large part of his ministry. And now the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit, just like the apostles and believing Jews had. This was against everything that they had even known. And they had exactly the right response. First Peter says, Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Peter would not have done it this way. The Jews were the special ones, not these Gentiles. The apostles also had a great response. They were silent, thinking, and then they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also has God granted repentance that leads to life. A wonderful response in faith. Everything that they had learned was just shattered because of what the Lord had done. Something that they couldn't imagine could happen had happened, and it didn't take them long to acknowledge God's amazing work. Same with the food. They had been so restricted on what they could and couldn't eat, and now everything was open to them. This was still a struggle for many, So Paul speaks about food when he says, do not do things that cause a brother to stumble. He speaks specifically about food. It shouldn't cause them to fall since the Lord has made everything clean. However, many were doing what Jesus was warning about here. They were blending the old and the new. They were picking and choosing pieces of the old and the new they wanted to follow. And it doesn't work that way and Jesus knew it. This doesn't mean that some forms of old worship like fasting cannot continue. It does mean that they are seen differently. Fasting isn't used for mourning as much. It is used for expectancy, for total restoration of creation. So how does this apply to us? We didn't live during Old Testament times under the law, and we are very far removed from that, that time, and those traditions have passed and are not mainstream. Well, in this time, there is still old and new. It's just a lot more individual. When we are born again, what does the Bible say about that event? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Also from our scripture reading that Terry read in Ephesians, it says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. These passages make it evidently clear that the old self and the new self don't mix. If we try to blend our old selves and new selves, they will both be destroyed. We won't become strong in Christ and have victory over our sins. Instead, our sins will take on new life where we make excuses for them and reason them away like they aren't a big deal. That is no way to live 
and that doesn't bring new life. If you feel like you are stuck and aren't growing in Christ, this may be where you are. Come and talk to an elder, and together we can find a way to move forward. We can set you up in a discipling relationship. There are many mature men and women in our fellowship that would love to mentor you and lead you in Christ. We can help you put off your old self and to put on your new self. So we as followers of Christ are called to conform our lives to Christ in the Bible, not the other way around. Therefore, we must leave our old lives behind and move forward in Christ. So last point, and this one will be quick. We as followers of Christ are conform our lives to Christ the Bible and not the other way around. Therefore, we must love those who will not follow Christ. Therefore, we must love those who will not follow Christ. Look at verse 39 with me, please. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Jesus is telling the crowd that you can't blend the old and the new. It doesn't work. And here, he is saying that many will reject him because they love the old ways. There will be many who will never follow him. Notice here that it says after drinking old wine, no one desires new. It means they won't even try the new. Have you ever noticed someone doing a task and you ask them, why do you do it that way when you could dot, dot, dot? And they respond, this is the way I've always done it and it works just fine. That is what Jesus is getting at here. People like things the way they are and don't see any reason to change even though there is a much better, easier, and more efficient way to go about it. The incredible thing here is that Jesus' way far surpasses any way that we could come up with on our own. Our job as Christians is to show unbelievers that new life in Christ is far better and more joyful than any life outside of Christ. For Christians, it doesn't matter how much money you have, how many things you have, how many Facebook friends, Instagram friends, Twitter feeds you have. The world has shown us examples over and over again that those things don't bring lasting joy and happiness. What matters is who you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one. He will bring you lasting joy. If you are listening to this and you don't know Jesus as your God and Savior, surrender your life to him. He is a trade-up from anything this world has to offer. He is the one who gives us lasting joy. Jesus came into the world. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead to show his power over sin and death so that we may have life in him and have it to the full. If you want full life in any situation, surrender to Jesus. Jesus says in our passage that there will be many that do not follow him. Does that let us off the hook to evangelize? By no means. We don't know who will or won't follow Jesus. Only God does. Our job as Christians is to share the good news of Jesus with everyone, period. We need to share Christ with people who are hostile to us, just like Paul. He used to kill Christians, and he ended up writing half of the New Testament. There are many examples like this. One prominent example is a story of five missionaries led by Jim Elliott. They felt led by God to bring Christ to the Aka tribe in Ecuador. This tribe is known to kill anyone that steps foot on their land. They knew that the only way this was going to stop 
as if the Akas knew Jesus. And in 1956, they made contact with the Akas, and they had peace on a beach for two days. On day six, the Akas came back with warriors, and they killed all five of the missionaries with spears. However, the story didn't end there. Less than two years later, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, and their daughter, Valerie, along with a sister of another of the killed missionaries, went back to the Akas. They ended up living with the Akas for two years, and many came to Christ. Are there people in your life that you have shared Christ with once or even many times that have not responded to the gospel? Don't stop and don't give up. God didn't give up on you, even though all of us were hopeless cases. All of us were hostile to the gospel and at some point in our lives. We were so concentrated on ourselves that we didn't see how wonderful newness of life in Jesus could be. So we as followers of Christ are called to conform our lives to Christ in the Bible, not the other way around. Therefore, we must love those who will not follow Christ. Now, before I finish, I'm going to issue us a challenge. And this one's going to be hard. You have heard that fasting is refraining from a specific thing for a specific time and a specific reason. I am challenging all of us to do a 24-hour fast from food starting this Tuesday until Wednesday. Of course, if you feel you can't do this for medical reasons, please check with your doctor first. Remember to drink water. And above all, trust in the Lord to sustain you. He will. But fasting needs a reason. Our reason for fasting is the first point of our 2020 vision. Baptize 50 new believers. During this 24-hour fast, ask God to give you clarity in these three areas. One, pray for open doors to share Christ in a general sense. Go to the grocery store, to work, to a park, ask for open doors. Two, pray for the Lord for a specific person or family to reach out to this summer. This is the time of year we finally get to see our neighbors again. Take advantage of it. And three, pray for boldness to share Christ with these people. We all struggle with this because we have fear of man. Ask God to break that hole in our lives so we can have effective hands and feet. So one, pray for open doors. Two, pray for a specific family or person. And three, pray for boldness. I'll have Kara send out an email reminder this week so we can do this together starting on Tuesday. During this fast, if you take it seriously, you will find that there is power behind your prayer that hasn't existed before if you have never fasted. I know that this is new for many of you. If you are concerned in any way, please talk to an elder about this fast before you leave today. Talk to Terry. Talk to Roger. Talk to Matt. Talk to me. We will answer any questions that you have. So starting on Tuesday, after supper this week, and going until supper on Wednesday, please fast with me. I pray that through this, we may see an increase in our evangelistic fervor this summer. Surrender yourself to Jesus. Trust in Him. For in Him, you will find fullness of life. Amen.